Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 6, reading verses 9 to 13. Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me share with you one other version of uh, that Lord's Prayer. It comes from Luke's Gospel in chapter 11. And there we find that when Jesus says, when you pray, say, and he says, Father, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not to temptation. It's a shortened version, of course. And that other bit, you know, at the end, yours is the kingdom and, and all that, that, that in some later manuscripts has, uh, has been included. And I think it's a great addition and, and really completes that prayer because ultimately we should uh, finish that prayer time with praise of God always all our prayer times we should finish really giving thanks to God praising him and rejoicing let's pray first Father Father wonderful Father awesome God as we just come now to conclude the series on the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples Father I pray that you would come and touch each one of our hearts anew that you would give us minds open to move in a whole new direction in terms of our prayer life with you, that you would enrich us, that this church would become a place of serious, intentional, powerful, life-changing prayer to the glory of your name in Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things that I've learned over these past three weeks is that anyone who does presume to preach on the Lord's Disciples' Prayer, as I've been calling it, comes face to face with his or her own inadequacy when it comes to praying. And that's certainly been true for me. I mean, Jesus, our Lord, really did believe in prayer and its power. The Gospels tell us that he uh, prayed before, during, and after all sorts of situations that he found himself in, especially when he was under pressure. Now, isn't that true that mostly we pray when we're under pressure most? and pray least when everything's going well. Hands up anyone who doesn't fit that pattern. See, we're all in that camp, and that's true. I mean, one of the scary things for me, actually, was that uh, when I first retired from full-time pastoring and went for a number of months not having to preach and do all those sorts of things, my prayer life really fell away. And the reason suddenly God confronted me with was when I did get to pray one day, is that your prayer has been all about what you do and not about a relationship with me so much. That was very sobering, friends, I tell you. And it really refocused me on praying and building that relationship with the Father in heaven and not just about the task that needed to be done. And that's really important. Okay? Today, we're going to conclude the study of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And I remind you that it's an index prayer, if you like. You know when in the textbooks and things like that, 
at the back you have the index with all the different subjects and things or, or you have the index at the front with the chapters and all that. That's what this prayer really is. It's to be each particular subject that, that's in it we are to take and elaborate as we commune with our Father in heaven and make it the headings of other things that we would say and do. In fact, one of the things that came to me, and I love these little stories, children really teach us so much in lots of ways. This little girl came into the kitchen where her parents were drinking tea. She was about just over four. She asked, can God see me? And her mum said, yes, of course God sees you all day and when you've gone to bed. This little girl just smiled, turned, ran back outside, picked up her skipping rope, her face alight with joy, and she cried, look, God, I'm skipping. Jesus actually taught that the basis of real prayer is the open innocence of a child in the presence of a loving father. A father that we have access to because he's removed the barrier that separated us from him. And that's our sinfulness. Through faith in Jesus, the scripture tells us we can actually boldly go to the throne of God and lay before him our praise and our concerns and the concerns of others in prayer okay we in other words we we come to the creator of the universe we're coming to the one for whom nothing is impossible we're coming to the one that sustains everything by the power of his hand and we can communicate with him And Jesus taught and demonstrated that to know God as our Father is to pray for his name, firstly, to be honoured and adored. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, your name, we revere your name. We lift your name on high. And and last week we focused on some of the names of God and, and in that outline you can take those names and praise God and worship him through the use of those names. And also for his will to be done, his kingdom reign to literally come on earth and manifest itself in and through us, through our lives, here on earth, challenging everything that the world is on about that's not with and of God. Now that brought me to another little story of a boy, a little boy drawing with crayons. His dad asked, whose picture was he drawing? He said, God. The dad said, but son, nobody knows how God looks. And the boy said, they will when I'm finished. (laughs) Friends, the aim of every one of us as Christians by our living should be just that, that little boy said. You hear what I just said? That people would know what God is like. Why is that so? Because Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Anyone can know what God is like in that sense of because you look at Jesus. Now, the other side of that is if you really want to look at a person who is truly reflecting the image of God, who is a true human being, who do you look at? Jesus. He is the ultimate human being in that sense. He was God. I mean, it's awesome. He had all the authority, the power, everything that was in heavens, he laid every bit of that aside and humbled himself and actually was born, not in a palace, but in a place for animals and lived and died on the cross 
the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, paying the price for your sin and my sin that we can come to God as our Father. Wow, that's sensational, isn't it? That we can actually be in a world that's so far from Him, light in the darkness, His light, His bearer. They, see, Christians really want to be, what's that mean? Christians really want to be filled more and more and more by the Spirit of God so that the Spirit in them will produce and demonstrate and reveal the love that God has for them and the love that God has for every person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the deal, friends. Let me share you a story. I was going to use it at a different time. I shared a story about this uh, black Zambian pastor yesterday and uh, I want to now talk about this lady who's one of his congregation, who's an intercessor. Now, this lady is a very large Samoan lady and I mean a very large Samoan lady. Okay? She comes to this meeting with two walking sticks and sits down. And eventually there was a sharing time and she talked about her taxi ride to the meeting. She said, I got in the taxi and we hadn't gone to the corner of my street and the taxi driver turned as he was driving, looked at me for a moment, went back to looking at the road he's driving down and said, something came into my taxi when you got in. What is it? You know what it was, don't you? It was the presence of God on her. Within two minutes, this man unburdened himself to her because she said, it's God. I pray and God is with me and he loves you. And he then told her of his broken marriage. He told her of the issue with his children. He told her a whole host of things. This lady then said, I will pray for you in the weeks to come. I will tell my pastor if it's okay and he will pray for you. And he said, here is my telephone number. Keep in touch with me. Why? Because she had what every one of us should have, the presence of God out there in the world, a presence bearer, friends. Jesus taught that God's children want nothing else but the kingdom of God to come fully. And it's only when we really realise that the concern of the Lord's disciples' prayer and all of Jesus' praying, actually, is the coming of God's kingdom in all its fullness, okay, so that we can make sense then of all the different phrases that are in the prayer that he wants us to pray. I'm telling you, friends, prayer is the most important work of the kingdom of God because it invokes God. It creates relationship with God. It opens the way for God to move. So what, does, uh, what did Jesus reveal to us about prayer in this closing part of his prayer teaching? There are three petitions concerning now ourselves. All our great needs are summed up in them. Our physical needs, our mental needs, our spiritual needs. You see, friends, Jesus wants us to bring our life in its detail to our Father in heaven because God, our Father in heaven wants to help us and assist us in our day-to-day living it's part of the deal of the gospel so the first one give us today our daily bread you know when you, when you say that after all the other things we've looked at 
the words seem to take us from lofty heights in the realm of God that you know we've been treading over the last two weeks back now to mundane things like daily provisions and, and petty concerns and all those things that we said weren't that important at some level. Okay? But nothing's further from the truth. It's actually when you study the words in the original, it's interesting, the Aramaic word used by Jewish Christians since the days of Jesus is actually... Our bread for tomorrow, give us today. And you actually get that in the footnotes in the RSV and the Good News translations. In ancient Judaism, maha, translated tomorrow, meant not only the next day, but also the great today, the great tomorrow, I should say, the final consummation, the end of history. These words are concerned Yes, for our daily bread, but much more also. They are concerned with the bread of life, the symbol, the image, the fulfilment of the age of salvation. It includes the provision of daily bread, for we do have needs that arise daily and God is always wanting to meet those needs and help us to meet those needs, but it goes way beyond our day-to-day needs by asking that amongst the godlessness of everyday life, the power and the gifts of God's coming age may be active in all that we as Jesus' disciples do and say everywhere we go. It's a tremendous cry of intercession, actually, for it asks for what is to come in the great tomorrow of God to come today, now, today, in a world enslaved by sin and Satan, today, in a world where God often seems remote, today, in a world of hunger and thirst, the disciples of Jesus dare to pray, even now, even here, give us the bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. John six thirty five, forty eight. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. John six fifty one. You know what that really means? It's not that, that like we become cannibals as, in a sense. It's, it's not like some people have misappropriated those words and then make it when you take the sacraments, for instance, you actually take the body and blood of Jesus. It's not that. What it talks about is like when we take bread and it goes down, and becomes into our, and we digest it, and it becomes part of us. When we connect with Jesus, He comes into us and becomes part of us, so that we're one. As the bread just becomes part of who you are, so does Jesus become part of who you are. That, that's the point. Of, that's what you're praying for with it in this prayer, partly. That He, the true and living bread, would come. She said, The cry is, Father God, give us this true and living bread that leads to eternal life. Now, And that's the privilege that Jesus has given to us as his disciples, as God's children. The privilege, stretching forth our hands to grasp the fullness of God's kingdom and fetch it down, believe it down, pray it down, right into our lives, even now, today, in this place, that we will take it out there as a blessing. You won't say those words glibly anymore, will you, when you get it like that, if you really get that. Forgive us our debts, bracket, sins. Why is it important to ask for his forgiveness? I mean, as Christians, we are justified by faith, we're told, which means God has declared that he has dealt with our sins in full in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and regards us to be righteous in him. 
when you sin, God has this rather blurry vision of you because he can't really look on sin. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he puts his Jesus glasses on and sees you as his child, totally free of sin, perfectly righteous with the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and treats us on that basis. That's the gospel. Hmm? I reckon that's terrific. Our past, present, future sin dealt with in full. But having been justified and in that state, if you like, from God's perfect view, I mean, from God's view, we're perfect, even though we're imperfect. So the Holy Spirit in us, called sanctification, works to bring us to that which God actually sees or treats us on so that we are like that. Having been justified, of course, we still live in this world. And when you live in a world that's full of corruption, I tell you, you get soiled by it. Isn't that true? I tell you, I I had a vivid example of this when we were in the Mallee and the farmer was cleaning out his dam and he had this thing, that sludge thing, I think, whatever it is, and he'd go in, he'd scrape it and clean out. I tell you, he could not do that even from in his tractor ultimately without his tractor getting very dirty and he getting covered in that mud and gas. When you work in the world, you get soiled in some ways. Let's be honest about that, okay? Not only do we get soiled and tarnished by sin, it's every now and then temptation rises up and let's be honest, even without temptation, sometimes we blow it. Is there anyone here who never sins? See, we're all in that category, even though we're saved by grace, even though we're children of God now in Jesus Christ. So every now and then we have to ask God to forgive us for that which we've failed him in. And if you're like me, you do that probably every day 16 times an hour or something, isn't it? if we're really serious. You hear what I'm saying? Like we're always falling short of the mark. Now I said to people yesterday, sin, the word, is an archery term. And when you take your bow and arrow and you aim at the target and the arrow falls short of the target, that's a sin. We're created in the image of God to be reflectors and images of God to the world and when we don't attain that absolute perfect level like Jesus Christ, what have we done? Fallen short of the mark. So we're ever confessing and ever receiving God's grace and ever being treated as righteous even when we're not. See, we need to understand that God has very short memory when it comes to our sinfulness, when we confess it. Because the moment you confess that which you have seriously confessed it and admit that it was wrong, he just erases it from your record. I reckon that's good news to the core. You see, another way I'm saying that is sin's likened to a debt because it means we owe God his rights because of all the good things that he's done for us. Okay, So we really owe God. And, and Jesus paid the price redeeming us from the debt that we owe God because of sin and Jesus the true and living bread is the only means by which God's forgiveness comes to us forgiveness for every conceivable wrong why? because a pure heart has no conflict of interest you hear what I just said? God wants us to be pure in our heart at the core of our being because then we don't have self-interest because it's our self-interest that creates conflict of interest. Isn't that right? Forgiveness for every conceivable wrong. Okay? The outcome, if you like, is purity or holiness. And that comes from continual exposure to God's presence. The closer you get to God, 
the more you become aware of your shortfallings, don't despair, rejoice in it, and confess the shortfalling. You know what I just said? That's true. I can tell you, way back in my ignorance, I thought I was doing pretty good with God. But as I've got closer to God, I've become more and more aware of just where I am not really cutting it with God. Because the closer we get to the holiness of God, the closer we get to being like Isaiah, who goes, woe is me, I am undone. I've seen the glory of the king and for I'm going to die because I'm unworthy. That's the bottom line of that. But God's grace is bigger than our sinfulness when we confess it. That's why he wants us to get close to him so that we will in fact deal with all the issues in our lives that are impure and not holy as he wants us to be. In other words, his holiness is like a laser beam that starkly reveals the sinfulness of our being. But when we submit to the Lord, we become pure in spirit, innocent if you like, truly innocent like Adam was before he fell. Confession of all known sin is actually essential to becoming pure for it's only as we confess our sin that we receive God's forgiveness. In other words, friends, forgiveness has tremendous power. Never, never underestimate this. Knowing the power of forgiveness, Jesus taught us to ask for God's forgiveness because our praying is to show that we know we're involved in this debt of sin, that we know God's gracious forgiveness is the only way we can ex- escape the wrath of the last judgment and we know that Jesus died to save us from our sin and so that through him alone we belong to the age of salvation. But blessed then with God's forgiveness, knowing we're forgiven, what are we to do? We are to forgive those who have also sinned against us. This sentence is not suggesting a comparison as a lot of people think. God forgive us as we forgive others. That's what a lot of people think. I actually know a person who never prays these words because he isn't forgiving enough and he thinks if I can't forgive like that then how can God really forgive me? That means he's really not in the right place with God. How could our forgiveness be compared to the forgiveness of God? It can't. Our forgiveness is nothing compared to the forgiveness of God. His forgiveness is the inspiration for us to forgive. Now listen, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of our souls as good food is for our bodies because unforgiveness can be traced as the main reason for a lot of illnesses, for a lot of ulcers, for a lot of tragedies I mean, some of the saddest stories even in the Bible relate to a lack of forgiveness. David and Absalom, for instance. I mean, the key to fully experiencing the power of God's forgiveness in our lives lies in our readiness to forgive those who've hurt us. That's what Jesus is teaching. Bitterness poisons you and bitterness comes from unforgiveness. It's as simple as that, friends. Part of the process of our spiritual growth is learning to forgive one another because our relationships to others affects our relationship to God. Now, I'll tell you this. If husbands and wives learn to say, I am truly sorry, please forgive me, and meant it, their marriages would keep growing. If they don't, their marriage will die because it will be poisoned by the unforgiveness. Let me ask you a very serious question a personal question does a dark cloud rise up inside you when you think of certain people 
If so, you need to understand that God is using that situation when someone sinned against you, hurt you, disappointed you, really failed you to teach you how to forgive. Because if we didn't have those bad experiences, we wouldn't have an understanding of the need of forgiveness. You see, friends, if we don't practice forgiveness, we actually cut ourselves off in the long run from God's forgiveness because the bitterness and the resentment and the anger and the frustration that flows from unforgiveness poisons our relationship with him who is our Father in heaven. We need to be a very forgiving people. Now, I said this yesterday because it's really vivid. I was counselling a woman who'd been sexually abused as a 14, 15-year-old and she was now in her early 40s and eventually we'd gone around it and over it and under it and whatever and eventually I looked her in the eye and I said, why are you letting him still sexually abuse you? She said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are because you're still holding it, you're still keeping it in your mind, you're still thinking about it, it's still affecting you. You need to forgive. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't feel like forgiving. Friends, the act of forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you'll never forgive in some situations. Let's be honest about that. Isn't that right? It's a decision of the will. I choose now to forgive you. And because I choose to forgive you, I will now treat you as if you had never caused that offence against me. That lady came to that. It wasn't easy for her, I'm telling you. And it was a very painful process for her. But the moment she crossed the line with forgiveness, her life totally changed for the good. We need to be a forgiving people, friends. Forgiving those who sin against us. Okay? You see, in that prayer, we forgive those who sin against us. It's actually a declaration. God, you have forgiven me. Now I forgive. And I forgive all those people. Okay? And let's be honest, friends. In church, I don't know about you, but some of the people that really irk you the most are going to be the people sitting in beside you in the pew sometimes, isn't it? Hmm? Or the pastor, or the pastor's wife, or an elder, or um, whomever. We need to be very forgiving in the fellowship, very forgiving of one another. Satan sows discord in fellowships by creating issues in people's lives that they hold bitterness towards a brother or sister in Christ and create enmity and breakdown in relationship and that kills Christian community. So we have to be very forgiving of our brothers and sisters in Christ in every way. That wasn't in the text, but it's really good. Before God's throne, in other words, we officially release those who've wronged us, including ourselves, and that's another thing, okay, through the act of forgiveness. You know the hardest person sometimes to forgive is actually yourself? Notice that? You can forgive others, you can do all sorts of things, but you know you've done something and you flog yourself because of what you've done wrong and you know it. You need to forgive yourself because who do you think you are that you wouldn't forgive yourself if God's forgiven you? Do you think you're bigger than God? You need to forgive yourself for all the things you've stuffed up in your life. It sets you free wonderfully in that. We need to do this so that all the deep hurts, reactions, pain and fear are gone. That's what makes good Christian community. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the Bible actually says God doesn't tempt us with evil, James 1.13. It also says temptations and trials are good for us, James 1.2. The thrust of this last petition is not about God's preserving us from temptation. To live in this world is to be confronted with temptation. Isn't that true? I mean, let's be honest about that. Jesus knew uh, the full power. Do you know that Jesus actually experienced the full power of temptation? The utmost of temptation. And he did it... because he didn't give in to it. You and I have never really, unless we've got past the temptation at its strongest and not given into it, understood what temptation really is because mostly we give in to it somewhere along the way. Jesus experienced every temptation you and I come up against and didn't give an inch, a millimetre, a fraction of a millimetre towards falling into that temptation so he knows exactly what it is to be tempted and he overcame it we must never become so self-assured of our own strength friends that's something we'll fall and fail with every time we need to daily pray for preservation in the face of all that tempts us in other words prayer is concerned with victory over temptation okay it recognizes satan's a strong adversary it recognizes that we need our father's strength to overcome his deceitful ways we need our father's strength the work of the holy spirit in our lives to overcome just the flesh that is part of our makeup at this point in time temptation can come in all sorts of different ways these words are taking us of course beyond even those day-to-day temptations, just like the, the give us our daily bread. They actually go way past that because they're also looking to the final great testing which stands at the door, the disclosure of the mystery of evil, the work of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, as Revelation puts it, where the threat is not moral integrity but to faith itself. I mean, it says in Scripture... In the book of Revelation, again and again and again. This is one of the things about we don't get rhapsodied out because it gets tough, before it gets tough. Because through right up to chapter 15, it's saying this is a call for the saints to endure. This is a call for the saints to be faithful. And in fact, Jesus said, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? Because the pressure will become huge to fall from faith as the end of the age, end of history comes. And what you're praying for here is that God will so strengthen us that we will not fall. You know, it's like this is the prayer. Father, no matter what happens, do not let us fall away. Do not let us lose faith. Move and move into apostasy. Oh God, give us faith to remain true to you and your purposes no matter what comes, no matter what takes place, no matter what is going to threaten my life. Because that's how it is. And I can tell you there's a lot of Christians have to pray that kind of prayer regularly around the world in other places it's so easy to say the Lord's Prayer parrot fashion like heathen babblers but today to pray it with sincerity it has revolutionary implications friends it expresses the priorities of Jesus and of his disciples and followers of you and I our secular culture constantly puts us under pressure to conform to its values every time you notice that every advertisement is actually a pressure just about to fall from God's culture into the world's culture because it focuses on whom you and your gratification you think about that just you look at the ads and see Faye and I often we go boy that ad's worse than the last one 
<laughs> it's it's like, and some of the people who design ads, you know, they've got to be dingling. How how on earth is this going to attract anyone to buy this product? That ads are so stupid, in some ways. Now we've come to that because over the, we've just learnt. We've said we're not going to get swayed by ads. In fact, Faye often says, "Did you see that?" And I said, "No, I didn't," because I just switch off when the. And have you noticed the ads and TV get louder? They actually deny that, but they do that. They condense the sound, so it's the same level, but sound comes across louder. Why? Because everybody goes for a cup of tea and they still want you to hear it. Friends, we need to be aware that we're in a world in which a lot of things stand against Christians and it will be increasingly so in this country. No doubt about that. We often get caught up in being more concerned about our own name, our reputation, our own little empire and kingdom, about our will, wanting our way, our ideas to be all important. And we often pray that way towards God. I mean, the subtle pressure for lots of church pastors is that they start, and I've seen this, and they start totally concerned for the kingdom of God, but as they go and as they begin, they get somehow tainted, and the kingdom of God is now their kingdom. And that's a sad thing. Kingdom of God is what we should be on about in every way. You see, we Christians are called to be concerned for the glory of God, for His kingdom, His will as the number one priority in our lives. And the Lord's disciples' prayer covers everything that a son and daughter needs to say to our Father in heaven. To pray and mean it is to turn our lives upside down as we become the full expression of what we pray. Because let me tell you something, friends. What proves that you're serious in your praying is that your praying changes you so that you become more about what you're praying. That's a good test. And of course, that little extra bit that's added, for his is the kingdom of power and the glory forever and ever. It's an incredible cry of triumph. No prayer should finish without confession of the mighty triumph of God. That's how the Lord's Prayer needs to conclude. It's all about the fame of his name. It's all about his power. It's all about his glory. And our life is to be given to that purpose so that this is what all prayer commits us to if it's real prayer. Living in the power of God for the glory of his name as we boldly declare by our witness that in his Son, Jesus, Jesus, Yahushua, meaning God saves, his kingdom reign has come to earth, has come to us, and we're manifesting it now. Amen. Do you know what amen means? So be it. So be it. Let it happen, Lord. Bring it about, Lord. I'm committed to it. Let's pray. Wonderful Father in heaven, creator of the universe, sustainer of all that is, the awesome, holy God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, Redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we lift your name on high. We rejoice that you are Yahweh. I am who I am. That you are the God who heals. You are the God who gives righteousness. You are the God who is our banner. You are the God who sustains us. You are the God who creates life where there is no life. You, you bring life where there where there's barrenness. You're the God who moves. You're the God who redeems. You're our fortress. You're our rock. You're our saviour. Oh God, we lift your name on high and we praise you and we thank you for your name and we revere it and we hold it precious to us and we pray, Father, that your kingdom would come. That kingdom which your son came and displayed 
and brought to us that your kingdom reign with its healing and its wholeness and its acts of salvation and its workings of miracles and its, com- and its convicting of sin would come and be manifest in our midst, in this church, in our community, in our nation. We pray, Father, that your will, your perfect holy will, your purposes that were complete in Jesus Christ and made available to us for us to be displaying would be displayed fully in and through our day-by-day living, in our workplace, in our rest places, in our homes, in our communities, in our fellowship, one with another, that you would get all the glory and the honour and the praise. We ask, Father, that you would forgive us now for those sins, those failures of us, where we have become bitter, where we have become angry, where we have criticised a brother, sister in the Lord unfairly, unjustly, unrighteously where we've got so selfish that we've been concerned for ourselves. And we ask, Father, that you would forgive us for falling short of the mark of being true children of God, displaying our Father's love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And, Father, as you forgive us and we rejoice in the truth that forgiveness comes to us because your word says when we confess our sin, you forgive our sin and you remove it as far from the east as from the west, which is it just isn't there anymore. Father, because you have forgiven us, we now commit, we can forgive those who've offended us. We forgive those who've hurt us. We forgive pastors who've failed us. We forgive husband, wife who've disappointed us at certain levels. We forgive children who are not living as we'd like them to live. We forgive parents who may have abused us and failed us. We forgive friends who've disappointed and broke off relationships when we needed them most. Rather, we forgive all who've hurt us now. And we pray, Father, that as we go from this time together, that we go, that you would give us your power, your Holy Spirit, your word of truth that you would so strengthen us by your presence in our lives that we would withstand the temptations that would come our way that you would deliver us from the evil one and his forces you would guard and protect us from his onslaught against us you would give us faith to cling to Jesus Christ in the face of persecution you would give us faith to cling to the truth of your word in the face of whatever comes our way that is not of you we pray father that you would take us to a whole new level of service in you to the glory of your name and finally father we rejoice that you are truly our God who has redeemed us who loves us and who wants the best for us. And we ask, Father, that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon us now and every day as we awake from sleep. May your Spirit come upon us that as we go out into the world we will become true presence bearers like that lady in the taxi, like other people here and there whom you know when you're in their presence something special is about them and it's you. And we pray, Father, that we would take you into the community, in a roundabout. The people who are lost and going to hell will be redeemed and saved because they'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. Enable us to be true witnesses to the Lordship of Jesus, true witnesses to the love of our Father in heaven, true witnesses to the glory of your name in Christ for yours is the kingdom yours is the glory yours is the majesty you are God and all the people say Amen